this morning. And turn in your Bibles to our text, 2 Corinthians 4, 5 to 12, and 1 Kings 19, 1 to 18. From 2 Corinthians, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And now 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 to 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. 
Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. There's a book you may have heard of. It is called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. It is intended to teach children, and I suppose their parents as well, that bad days are temporary and they affect all of us, even when it feels like we are all alone in our bad circumstances. You see, Alexander wakes up with gum in his hair and everything after that just doesn't go right. It goes wrong all day long, right down to not getting to wear the pajamas that he has set aside as his favorites because they're not clean that night when he goes to bed. All day, he says he'd like to move to Australia, certain that in that magical place, no one has terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. But finally, his mom convinces him that tomorrow will probably be better, and that even in Australia, there are bad days. Sometimes I think we read our Bibles and listen to the stories in them as if we were expecting that it is like the Australia of Alexander's imagination. There are no bad days. There are no terrible moments. There are only instances of God working everything to good. Certainly, we sometimes convey that to children in Sunday school and children's church as we tell stories of the heroic David and paint our nursery walls with cute pictures of Noah's Ark with cartoon animals while the rest of the world is being destroyed. We make that look like it's fun somehow. And perhaps there is nothing too wrong with giving that kind of bubblegum coverage to Bible stories we learn in our youth. But I think it is important to note that most of the time, the stories in Scripture are way more like the Alexander in reality. They wake up with a pretty crappy day. (laughs) and It just kind of follows them around until in Scripture, God kind of either intervenes or shows them what it could look like or tells them it's just going to get worse because sometimes that's the way it works. But this story of Elijah is one of my favorites. I've preached on it before using his his shift in focus to redirect our focus and reminding us that sometimes we have to think about what we should focus on when we lose sight of what matters. But today I bring you this message because I think we can all relate to what Elijah was feeling. Because Elijah has just had what could only be called the opposite of a terrible, horrible, no no good, very bad day. You see, he went up on top of a mountain in Israel. He called together all of the priests of Baal. He got them all together and he made a bet with them. He told them, we're going to see whose God is really God. And they put wood on a thing and made an altar. 
And they ran around all day screaming out to their God to light the fire. They needed the fire to light on the altar to prove that Baal was God. And of course, Baal did not show up. And Elijah had a little fun with it. He said, oh, maybe your God is, is, is taking a nap. Maybe we should scream louder. And they started cutting themselves, trying to wake up their God. But eventually, Elijah poured water all over the wood, killed the bulls to make the sacrifice, put it all out, and of course, God set the altar on fire. It was an amazing moment. This is like what you do ministry for, right? You preach messages. The fire comes from heaven. It's beautiful. Now, probably we don't go around and kill all of our enemies right afterwards, but that was a different time, and that's what Elijah did. They killed all of their enemies. They're having, he, then they'd been in a drought. And Elijah drops to his knees and he says, God, bring the rain. And here comes the storm. Elijah's had a great experience. He knows that God will do what he asked God to do. James tells us he prayed for the drop to happen in the first place. So he already knew that God could do whatever God wanted to do. But he gets a message that Jezebel is going to kill him. She's not a very nice person. She's kind of been on the warpath with Elijah for a while. And she has certainly promised to kill him before. But this time, she is like, I'm ready to die if I don't kill you by tomorrow. She is mad. And Elijah, instead of trusting God in that moment, and I'm not sure that that's fair either. We can say he trusted God, but he was just done. He runs to a tree. He sits down under it, and he says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm not better than anybody who came before me. Just get it over with. He can't even. And what makes this narrative so powerful is not really how Elijah is afraid and alone and dejected, although all of those things are true. It is how God reacts in that moment. (laughs) God feeds him. God gives him rest. And then God calls him to a new place and gives him a job, a new effort, reassuring him that God isn't done, God hasn't lost, and he is never alone. Elijah acts like a toddler throwing a tantrum, and God does what any good parent does. He gives him a snack, a nap, and a distraction. (laughs) Seriously. 
But it is in God's response that we can find comfort. God didn't say to Elijah, you have failed. You suck. (laughs) He didn't say to him, suck it up, buttercup. Get out there and move. But instead, God pulled him up and got him going as soon as it made sense to do so. That's what God does. We have spent many hours and days and months in this town working to bring the light of the gospel to the people who live in darkness. And not only is it that our reading is that our reading from Isaiah today, but it's also part of the reading in Corinthians for this message. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And we have been that light sometimes. We have stood in this place and done what God has called us to do. Kind of like Elijah, we haven't maybe gotten as far as we would have liked to. Paul, as Dr. McCain said earlier, also says that he experienced so many disappointments, so many discouragements in how he was treated, in what he encountered, and even... The churches he planted and ministered to, even in that time, sometimes didn't react to the gospel in the way or live it out the way that Paul expected them to do. But what he says in Corinthians is that even though he has encountered all those things, he does not give up the gospel. He does not give up living out what God has called him to. We know that the dying off of the old is necessary to bring out the new, he says. And that when we die in Christ, our new life brings us forward with joy and hope so that we live in the light even as the world turns dark around us. After the first message that I ever preached at Lombard, Kathy Bimber pastor's wife there, came up to me and handed me a slip of paper with this scripture from 1 Corinthians on it. And she said, when ministry gets hard, and it will, remember this promise. She was right. Ministry isn't always easy. This is not probably one of the easiest days I've ever had in my ministry experience. But The promise of God holds true. What was true for Elijah, that God wasn't finished? What was true for Paul, that the hope of the gospel is is strong? What remains true for each and every one of us is this. We have this treasure in jars of clay. The Holy Spirit continues to empower and embrace and enfold us and move us forward in the proclamation of the gospel. If you have found Jesus and you have loved him and you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, the closing of this church or any other matters little to the job that you have been given. To proclaim the good news of Christ to everyone around you by living loved, by loving your neighbors, by loving God. I am going to enter a season of ministry in the context of my family for a while. 
I will likely visit several churches because I can't see myself not going to church on a Sunday morning, looking for a final new church home. Knowing myself, it will probably be a challenge to not get myself busy right away in serving because that is what I am called to and it's what I do. But I'm going to wait because I know God is providing me this time for that purpose. And even so, my life will still reflect my Savior. My faith will be visible in how I live and how I love, and I will continue to grow in the faith and grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when God is ready for me to resume ministry in this sphere, the sphere of pastoring a church, the sphere of shepherding God's people well, I will always and can always only answer yes. I don't know what that looks like, and I don't know where that is. But I I pray that you too will take a season of rest. Take a nap, if you will. Get fed for a while. And then be listening for the next place God will call you to serve. Because God will always have a place for you. If you are ready and willing, I know you can. I trust you will. We have loved and served together well. I will miss you all. But I promise even those, even though this may have been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad season in our church life, some seasons are like that, even in Australia. We're going to receive communion at this point.